All right, we'll be in uh, First Chronicles. First Chronicles. A um, little bit in chapter 13, but mainly chapter 15. So it is First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, then First Chronicles um, 13. We're going to kind of... Uh, kind of skip around a couple things I want to catch a story and then we got to get kind of up to speed and what's going on but uh, uh, I'm thankful for God's word I'm thankful for God's people I'm glad James could be up here with us uh, although I am a little sad because I like uh, downstairs kind of put us all in together I like that part of it but that just means we got to get more people to come in the evenings uh, and then that'll solve that problem so uh, but I'm thankful that we can worship the Lord. Uh, he's good to us. Uh, you know, everything, um, you know, God, he's in control and I'm thankful for it. So I'm just going to start out with prayer tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd use me tonight, Lord, to be able to preach. And Lord, that you'd fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, so we can learn of you. And Lord, that you can draw us closer to you. And Lord, I pray that through your word today, Lord, it would uh, uh, not just go in our heads, but Lord, that we would hide it in our hearts. We thank you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So uh, one of the things that uh, I actually preached a, a couple messages, I was trying to figure out when, but it's been a while ago. Um, it, uh, so it's probably been a, quite a few years ago, but I preached a couple messages on the Ark of the Covenant, how it moved around, how the, uh, the Philistines captured it. Uh, and then uh, the Israelites got it back. It stayed in one place. It moved to another place. Uh, and I, I don't know what drew me to that uh, when I did that little mini series, but uh, uh, it's always been something interesting. So as I was uh, reading through uh, uh, this part of the scripture, um, uh, that some of those messages were coming back to me. So some of the things in my mind uh, that I was remembering and, you know, just kind of refreshing my memory. Uh, but then something we're going to hit actually all the way at the end was something uh, that I hadn't seen before. Uh, so I just kind of want to go back and kind of look at uh, this one section uh, of the ark moving, uh, which, you know, seems like a strange thing. But listen, if God's word took the time to document this and to describe it uh, and, and to talk about what's going on, then it's uh, God has some form of use for it. Uh, so I'm thankful for uh, God's word. And I'm glad that we don't have to guess what's important and what's not important. If it's in the Bible, God thinks it's important. So uh, I'm thankful for that. But like I said, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they had it for seven months. And, the, and that whole story, that's Eli and his sons. Remember Hophni and Phinehas, they were evil, they were wicked. Uh, the Philistines were attacking, uh, so they decide, uh, hey, why don't we just go get the Ark of the Covenant, we'll take it to the front lines, and it'll be an automatic victory for us, even though they were disobeying the Lord, and it was not. It was stolen, they lost, Hophni and Phinehas dies. Uh, when Eli gets word of it, he dies, uh, and that whole chapter ends uh, with the birth of a child, the mother dies, 
uh, and they they uh, they name the child. I think Ichabod is it the glorious departed. I mean, just a sad chapter when all of that happens. Well, the ark stays. Uh, with the Philistines for seven months. And what happens is it just starts plaguing everywhere it goes. It's a problem for the Philistines. They put it in their temple of Dagon kind of as a trophy because that's what they used to do. Uh, and then they go in the next morning and Dagon, the statue's tipped over. Uh, so they fix the statue uh, and uh, they, they come in the next day and Dagon's on the floor again, but he's missing his head and his hands this time. Uh, so then they realize that... Uh, the God of Israel uh, can't; he doesn't play well with the uh, with their false gods. So they say, "Hey, uh, we he's going to destroy Dagon. We got to get him out of here." So they get they get the ark and they start moving it around, and and it goes to a couple cities. It plagues different ones, and it gets to the point where they're bringing it to the next city, and they don't want it anymore. So finally, they decide they're going to give it back, uh, and so they do. They put it on a cart uh, and they send it back, and. It goes back to the Israelites, uh, and and in fact, that's a, it's an interesting story because nobody drives the cart; the ox just. They just walk it there. So the Lord knows how to drive it without a driver. But it stays in Kirjath-Jerim. It's a hard city to say for 20 years. That's what 1 Samuel 7-2. So it just sits there and, and kind of nothing happens with it. We don't read anything about it. I don't even know if they really use it or if it's just kind of stayed there. Uh, but it got to the point where David, King David, wanted the Ark of the Covenant back in Jerusalem. So he wanted it back in Jerusalem, so he gathers 30,000 men of Israel to bring it back. Uh, they put it on a new cart, uh, and that's what they do. They put this ark on a new cart. They transport it with oxen, and at one point, it goes over the threshing floor. The cart starts to wobble. Uh, Yuza, who's up there in front, you know, uh, one of the two manning kind of the cart, reaches back to steady it, and God takes his life right then and there, uh, and it frustrates David. Uh, so he puts the ark in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and then God blesses his home during that time. So the first scripture I want to look at, First uh, Chronicles 13, 12, says this, uh, and David was afraid of God that day, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me. So David's the one. David had the idea. He wanted to bring it to Jerusalem. Uh, so he gets this card. He puts it on there. Uh, and then when Yuza, uh when he dies because he touched it, uh, this frustrates David. And you can see in his words, he's afraid of God. Uh, and he is saying this to God, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? And he's frustrated. He's asking this question, but he's asking it in frustration with the Lord. And as soon as I, I read that verse, it reminded me of Joshua. It reminded me of Joshua right after the battle of Jericho. Uh, the next little city is Ai and they send spies and they see that Ai is small and they say, well, we don't need to send the whole army. Let's yeah. just send a, you know, a group of it. And they go and they act like we're just going to take it. No problem. Uh, and then they're starting to get defeated and they they're retreating and Joshua is frustrated and he complains to the Lord almost the same way, asking a question, Lord, 
did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Like, did yeah. you, I thought this was the promised land. What are we doing here, Lord? And you can hear it in both of their voices. You can hear it in Joshua's voice. You can hear it in David's voice. These aren't honest questions. They're complaints. They're complaining to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to the Lord just angry and just, uh, Lord, why is this happening? Lord, why am I here? I thought you wanted me to be here. I thought you called me to do this. That's the kind of attitude. Have you been there? David's complaining to the, the Lord. He's saying we put it on a new ox cart. We played instruments. In fact, if you go to verse 8 of chapter 13, and David and all Israel played before the Lord with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. They're worshiping the Lord with all their might as they're bringing this ark out uh, of Kirjath-Jerim, uh, and it's, or I'm sorry, where it was before, they're bringing it to there, uh, trying to get it to Jerusalem, but they're, they're just worshiping with all their might, but instead of the Lord blessing them, the Lord brought death. And here's the thing, they're, they're clinging to their promises, they're, they're just uh, expecting this victory, they're expecting this blessings and everything else, but that's not what happened. And see, when we're reading scripture, we can just read the next part, right? We can read the next passage. We can read the next few verses, the next chapter. And we know, we know what happened with Joshua and Ai. We know that they figured out there was sin in the camp, right? Yeah. And we know with David they, that, you know, as we go forward, they realize that he wasn't doing it the, God, the way that God wanted him to. But when they're right in the middle of it, there's frustration. And even before Yuzatide, uh, God, you would think as you're watching this procession, as you're watching David, you're watching the musicians, and they're praising the Lord with all their might, you would think if you were watching that, my goodness, what, what a spirit-filled thing going on, right? What a, what a blessing, right? Look at them worshiping with everything they've got. And then you realize as you're going through this story, the Lord isn't accepting any of this worship. He's not accepting any of it. And that tells me something. You can get to a point where you can, you can have a church, you can have this uh, worship that seems powerful and loud or, or emotional or anything. But here's the thing. God looks right through all of that and, decide, and he's looking at, are they doing things the way I want it to be done? Right. Are they worshiping me in spirit and in truth? Are they worshiping me to put on a show and make a name for themselves? There's a difference. But on the outside, you can't see it. It looks the same. They're worshiping with all their might. And the Lord wasn't happy. See, it was a wake-up call, right, for both of them. It was a wake-up call for Joshua, a wake-up call for David, that neither of them had any idea that what they were doing was in rebellion to the Lord. Joshua had no clue. And when I went back and looked through that and, and really studied that section, Joshua did something that he didn't do every other time. He didn't go to the Lord before he went to battle. Because if he would have, the Lord would have stopped him before they would have been in retreat. Amen. He would have said, hey, there's sin in the camp before he figured out that the Lord wasn't on his side. But on the outside, everything looked good. But on the inside, there was a problem. But they didn't even realize it. And it, it just goes to show the Bible tells us what's true that we can see in our own lives. We are our own worst judge. We are not good at judging ourselves. 
David thought he was okay. Joshua thought he was okay. How many times do we think we're okay with the Lord until the Lord uh, brings something our way? The Holy Spirit convicts. A, a passage hits us right. A, hits the nail right on the head or a, a preacher or something just absolutely wakes us up and shows us, hey, I thought it was good. It felt good. It seemed good. But in fact, it was far apart from what God wanted. We're not our own good. We're our own worst judge, and that can be individually as Christians or as a church too. A group of believers. From the outside, David's worship was strong and powerful. But in the end, it was just emotionally driven, but it was far from what the Lord wanted. So this ark stays at Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blesses his house the whole time it's there. So chronic, First Chronicles chapter 14 doesn't deal with the ark, uh, but it shows the Philistines being defeated. Then you get to chapter 15, which is the, the end of the three-month period. Uh, and look what it says at the beginning of First Chronicles 15.1. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Uh, then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the, uh, the ark of God and to minister unto him forever so David rebuilt the tabernacle that had been torn down uh, so that the ark would have a place in Jerusalem but there look at what happened in verse 2 these instructions are different from chapter 13 when they tried to do it their own way no more ox cart right no more new cart driven by oxes to put the ark on top of he's saying hey the ark needs to be carried Amen. That's what he's saying. Why uh, the Lord? What did he design? He had those two poles that would flip, that would go through the loops on either side, and it was to be borne on men's shoulders. That's what the Lord said. That's the instructions he gave, and it wasn't just anyone. He said the Levites, the Levites specifically, for him, them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. He said, you know what David realized in those three months? He said, you know, at first he's mad at the Lord and he's frustrated. Lord, how, how am I going to bring this to where it needs to be? And then he comes to himself, he realizes, and what's he do? He gets back in the scripture. He gets back into the law and reads, what did the Lord say concerning the ark? And then he realizes, I believe just that quick, my goodness, look at how far off I was. Oh yeah, we were singing and praising with all our might, but we were doing it with a cart. And the Lord said, that's not the way I want it. I want it carried on men's shoulders. He was frustrated, but all he needed to do is get back into the scriptures and the Lord made it very clear what he wanted. So skip down to verse 12, 1 Chronicles 15, 12. And said unto them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye might may bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel, unto the place that I prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, uh, for that we sought him not after the due order. So the priest and the Levites sanctified sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel and the children of the Levites bear the ark of the God of God on their upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord and there he explains it right there he tells them he says listen we did not do things the way the Lord wanted it to 
We did not do it that way. And in fact, the other thing, not just putting it on a cart, but probably the more important thing is you see what he says. He says, you got to sanctify yourselves. We're moving the ark of God. This represents the presence of God. Uh, this is not just some box. Uh, this is not just some relic or anything like that. This represents the presence of God. If we're going to move it, we're going to sanctify ourselves. This is a serious occasion. Amen. That's what he's saying. If we're going to do anything like that, uh, we're going to get ourselves ready and our hearts ready. It's just not going to be a normal Monday at work. This is a big deal because we are worshiping the Lord as we do this. So not only are they obedient to what the Lord says, they sanctified themselves. And it seems some of these seem like minor details. But listen. When God tells us to do something, we don't have a license to flip and just go on our own opinions. We're to follow the Lord. And then if you go down to 16, and David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries, harps, and cymbals sounding by lifting up uh, the voice with joy. So now, uh, again, they've assembled the ones that are going to carry it. They've sanctified themselves. Now they've got the singers. they got the musicians. And just like before, right? They were worshiping with all their might before. Now they can do that again, but they're doing it under the right uh, program. This is what the Lord wanted. Now, instead of the Lord being mad about it, the Lord will recognize it. The Lord will appreciate it, and he'll accept their worship. It's just changing that. Go from the Lord saying I don't I don't accept what you're doing to accepting it and it made me think in the book of Revelation uh, beginning of chapter 3 there's a letter uh, to the church of Sardis and I'll just read the first two verses and under the angel of the church in Sardis write these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for I have not found thy works perfect before God. The Lord starts out with, I know thy works. And when he says that, that means the church is working. They're doing things. It's not a, a lazy church. They are doing things. There's programs, there's activities, there's things on the calendar. But yet again, just like uh, the Lord didn't recognize the worship in chapter 13, he did not recognize the works that the church of Sardis was doing. He said, I know your works. And I know you've got a name. I know you've got a sign out front. I know the town talks about you because you, uh, you're doing all sorts of things for the community. He said, but you're dead. Not physically you've got things going on. You're spiritually dead. That's what he told them. All that movement, all of that effort, and the Lord didn't recognize most of it. They were active on the outside. They had a name that thou that livest, but spiritually the Lord's saying, you've barely got a pulse. You're about ready to die, right? And can you imagine as a church getting a letter like that? Thinking you're fine, right? Thinking everything's good. Oh, great. We got a letter from the Apostle John that's from the word of the Lord. How exciting as they're opening it up and getting ready to read it. But I believe as soon as they read the short handful of verses, they would have been shocked. They thought they were getting a blessing. Right? But instead, their toes were getting stepped on, right? It had been frustrating. All that work that they were doing for the Lord, almost all of it, the Lord said, is dead, is worthless. That would have been shocking. It just makes you think. Just like Joshua, 
right? When he's frustrated about AI, just like David, when he's frustrated about why can't we bring the, uh, the ark back? Just like Sardis, when they get the letter and they're thinking we're doing all this stuff. But the Lord says we're on life support spiritually. In all three cases, they didn't realize what was going on. And it made me wonder, we don't have the answer, but did Sardis turn it around? And if they did, how long did it take? Or did they just want to keep going as they were? I'll tell you what, if it's me, I don't want to spend another day going in the wrong direction that the Lord was doesn't want me to go in. I want to turn it around. I want to repent and switch. Amen. I wish I did that every time, but a lot of times excuses come. But finally, 2 Samuel 6, 13. Well, not finally. Here, I got two more verses. This one's the parallel passage in 2 Samuel 6 to 1 Chronicles uh, gives us another thing that they did. 2 Samuel 6, 13. And it was so that when they that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings from Kirjath Jerim to Jerusalem is nine miles. And when they took six steps, they stopped, they sacrificed, they worshiped the Lord. That seems crazy, doesn't it? They've barely made any progress. But here's the thing. When you're being obedient to the Lord or trying to be obedient to the Lord, we can't go very far without stopping and worshiping the Lord and thanking the Lord and turning back to him and saying, you know what? The only reason we've made any ground is because of the Lord. The only reason we are the way we are is because God has given us a new life, a new heart, a new start. He's made us a new creature in Christ. And yes, we can look back and see the spiritual growth in our life, but any growth we should stop and say you know what thank you Lord I used to doubt in this area but Lord you have helped me in this Lord I used to be afraid in this other area but you've taken care of it Lord I thought this trial was going to take me down but you brought me to the other side we should be able to stop right then and there and say thank you Lord for that we can't get too far away from thanking the Lord and praising him I'll never forget a sermon I heard. I looked it up. It's been 13 years ago. Cal Ray Evans preached on six paces. And my goodness, it, it got pretty. It was only the audio uh, of it. I, I didn't see the video. But when I, I remember listening to it, I was like, my goodness. They got to about halfway through the sermon. They were marching around the sanctuary, stopping and praising the Lord every six steps. Uh, it got pretty crazy uh, uh, for the Lord. But I'm telling you what, uh, you stop and think about that's exactly what David and them were doing. They were stopping and praising God. And then it made me wonder how many steps have we taken without stopping and praising and really thanking the Lord for what he's done. We can't go too far. But here is the verse. I said all that to get to this verse. First Chronicles 16, 4. First Chronicles 16, 4. This is actually the verse that stopped me in my tracks. And he appointed, this is David, certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. So we know that there were Levites that were going to carry the ark. There are Levites that would walk ahead and minister before the ark. 
There are those Levites that would thank the Lord, right? That's what he's saying. There are Levites that would be praising the Lord. But what stopped me is look at what it says right in the middle and to record. And I thought about that. There are Levites that literally would write down what's happening. And I stopped and I thought about that. Now, why, why would we, why would the Lord uh, want them to record what's going on? Well, I think there's a couple reasons, but you think about uh, in our lives, what are some of those things? I don't know about you. There are some things I wish I would have written down, right? There are some things uh, because a lot of times when I get to where I want to just stop and thank the Lord, you realize a lot of things we've forgotten. we, We are in a problem. We have a great need. And as soon as God meets that need, unfortunately, our short term memory kicks in, wipes it out. We don't think about it anymore. But I I think one of the good things is David saying, hey, I want you to write down what happens right down uh, from the journey all the way to we get there. And I don't think those recorders stopped uh, at that moment, but they kept on keeping track. And I thought, you know, some of the biggest blessings I've had in my life were where I've written some things down, put a date to it and, and wrote something down. And that and when I was thinking about it and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and look at that. I'm going to find that record and see where Uh, what I wrote down. And the whole reason is so I can then go back and say, you know what? Uh, I I thought it was over, right? I thought things were done. I thought uh, this was going to be the end of something. I thought this was going to uh, just be an awful, uh, uh, something awful was going to happen. Whatever it is, you know how we are. We think about the worst case scenario. That always comes easily to us. But then we can go back and say, you know what? I was worried about all those things, yet the Lord took care of us right that's why he's saying i think write some of these things down i think there are some things we need to write down as we go as well right we remember the bad times a lot of time we remember the bad things but what about those things that the lord's taking care of us you know when we write down those prayer requests one of the things is obviously we can you know when people share requests write them down and we can pray about them through the week But you know what does you good is if you go back a month ago, two months ago, six months ago, and you look at the prayer request and you realize that one's answered, that one's answered, that one's answered. And then you can start saying, praise God, because if I fast forward and go to the ones that are open right now, if the same God took care of those things before, he'll take care of it again. He asked those Levites to set a record, to write it down. I'm thinking we might need to do some of the same today. But you see this in the middle of all this problem. Joshua, he was frustrated. David was frustrated. The church of Sardis was frustrated, I'm sure, when they got that letter. But aren't you glad that the whole reason that they were able to turn it around is because God is merciful. Amen. He doesn't want us to go in the wrong direction forever. So yes, he will send that report. He will send that letter. The Holy Spirit will convict us to show us that, hey, we need to stop and go in a different direction. I'm thankful that the Lord does that. It's not fun, right? It's not fun when we hit a passage of scripture or when a preacher preaches something and steps on our toes. That's not fun. But I'm glad that the Lord gives us space to repent and to turn around. He loves us today. I'll tell you one thing. I want to be doing things the Lord's way. 
That's what I want. I know there's times where we get off on the wrong track, but we need to get back on the track. And how did each of them get back on track? It was through God's word. Remember, the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, hey, get up, quit pouting, get up. There's sin in the camp, go take care of it. With David, he got back into the law. He got back in there and realized uh, what he uh, what they needed to be doing right. Sardis got the letter from Jesus, got the letter, well, through John's pen, but it was those words are in red. Uh, and they realized that, hey, uh, we need to turn things around. I don't know if they did or not. But that's why we've got free will. And the Lord shows us something when his word uncovers something when the Holy Spirit convicts it's up to us to decide am I going to take care of it or am I going to stay in rebellion I tell you what I don't want to be in rebellion with the Lord if I can if I can I'm telling you what I know it's hard I know the excuses the devil Taylor makes them but I'm glad that the Lord's word we can stand on it and we can live by it I'm going to ask everyone to stand tonight